Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code presson25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week, I first met back in the mid-90s when she was working as a publicist for acts like Take That and Robson and Jerome. Then, in 1996, she turned up at the Smash Hits offices, where I was the editor at the time, without an appointment and with a new band in tow who, frankly, stormed the office, danced on our desk, took over the office hi-fi, yes, that's what we called it, and delivered a masterclass in girl power. They were, of course, the Spice Girls, a band she helped to break and eventually manage. Then came an unlikely job offer. As a judge on a new Saturday night TV show, Pop Stars, and the talent show went on to create Hearsay and made her a household name too. The band and the show were a huge success, all of which meant she was the obvious candidate to play the same role again, only this time on Pop Idol, alongside Pete Waterman, Neil Fox, and a then unknown Simon Cowell. It's 20 years, 20 years since Pop Idol first aired. And since then, she's left behind uh, working behind the scenes to step in front of the camera full time, hosting Escape to the Country, the Chelsea Flower Show, Wanted Down Under, and is a regular voice on Radio 2. Married to Dave Shack, who she met when they worked at the same record label over 20 years ago. She lives in London, and I'm so thrilled she's on the show. Let's dial her up. It's Nikki Chapman. How are you? I'm really well, thank you, Kate. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, you and I have been speaking a little bit recently because we've been making anniversary shows because we're at that stage of our career now, Nick. Um, <laughs> looking back on Pop Idol. Um, and it's been so nice to be in touch oh, again and relive years. some of those magic, magical memories, weren't they? Oh, Amazing. I mean, in a way, our careers have sort of run side by side. You know, you were the youngest yeah. editor of a magazine that we needed in the music industry, you know, a renowned journalist. I was a publicist or a plugger in those days, as we were called. And so we've known, we've known each other, well, over 20 years now. But I think Pop Idol was the ultimate, wasn't it? It brought us together. And, and Absolutely. Show, it's difficult to believe. Some part of me thinks it was like, yesteryear and then another part thinks I don't think it ever happened it's weird it's I don't know yeah. but such fond memories and life-changing for me it really was 
I mean, if, I mean, for so many of us, because, um, you know, I got the call to come and do the show, then went on to do X Factor. It put my career in a completely different space and place. And catching up with Will, I know you're still in touch with Will, who's doing so well 20 years on. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? Brilliantly. Doing really well, seems really happy, which has to go hand in hand with success. It's no point having success yeah. if you're not happy. And Gareth, the same. And you can't say that about yeah. a lot of the shows that are around. I think... We were genuinely looking for that pop idol, somebody super exciting, so talented, um, that was going to explode onto the scene. Whereas a lot of the shows now, and they are brilliant, but they are their TV shows first. Whereas ah, the priority at the beginning yeah, was them. to find the idol. Yeah. Well, I can remember, you know, we'd sit around um, talking behind the scenes and it was like, this, this is a lot of money. We're giving this this winner a record contract and it's going to be worth about a million quid in terms of marketing. And so, you know, that was the driver for it all. Not, you know, I mean, obviously everybody from ITV wanted to make a great TV show, but you were there with your star searching hat on because ultimately you would be working with the winner because you were partnering up. But by that point, you'd gone to work with Simon Fuller, who you'd met whilst you were plugging. Who did you plug for him? Annie Lennox. It was Annie Lennox, Kathy Dennis, and then the Spice Girls. Yeah. And it was actually after being with Annie, uh, we'd had dinner, that um, we were discussing what the music industry needed. And I said, go off and find a girl group. And he rang me about seven weeks later and said, I found them. And I was like, Who? The girl group you told me to go and find. I'm like, oh, God, yeah. And that's the difference. <laughs> he went off and did it and I didn't. <laughs> but I had a, had a really lovely relationship with Simon. And so you know, I was delighted to be part. And, you know, day-to-day -day managed his acts for him. So it was a big part of my life. And, you know, to have Will and Gareth just be such delightful people, but, again, super talented at the same time to work with and very different. That was what's so brilliant about mm -hmm. that final I mean, we're going back to that day and yeah. anybody of an age will tell you where they were the day or the week of the Bible final. I can remember sitting in this meeting at 19 and there was Nigel and there was Simon Cowell and we were coming up, you know, with the idea of the battle buses and everything else. Um, and it was ex an extraordinary time, an extraordinary piece of television in actual fact. And then you look around yeah. the world and there's so many very similar shows that have come off the back of it. And rightly so, you know, it isn't just about one show, it's about time and moment and people's passion for the music industry. Yeah. Well, it's not just shows that are similar. I mean, Idol itself has lived in multiple territories. I mean, you've got Cambodian Idol, for goodness sake, you've got American Idol. I mean, great careers have been broken out of it. And you know, I mean, obviously lots of people have come and gone through those doors uh, and, and it never moved the dial for them. But then there are those like Adam Lambert, Harry Underwood, Kelly Clarkson, where you, oh, Jennifer Hudson. I mean, yeah. hello. Who didn't win. <laughs> That's I mean, quite significant. On it, it's an opportunity because, you know, the way we look at finding new talent, I mean, it's changed in the last 10 years, it's changed beyond. But take us back 20, 22 years ago. How do you get yourselves in front of an A&R man? How do you find a manager? How do you mm. go about breaking into the music industry as a solo artist? Perhaps with bands, I'm not going to say it's easier, but there's different avenues, isn't there, to explore. But if you're a solo artist, you've got to bank on someone discovering you. And Idol and all those well, you know, You're so right. Were the opportunity. And it was interesting because another of your former clients was a recent guest, Gary Barlow. Uh, on this show and he was talking to me about I mean like he used to do the you know the well-trodden ground of get the train down to London um his mum used to give him a packed lunch to bring down with him and then he'd treat himself to a Mackey D's on the way home and he'd go and sit <laughs> in the reception of the major record labels with his cassettes waiting for somebody from A&R to come by that's how he would do it and then you yeah. know that was kind of 10 years previous to where we got to with Idol and just his tenacity got him through but he really did earn it you know he was out there grafting yeah. and he learned his trade so by the time he was picked up by Nigel Martin Smith who was putting together a boy band Nigel saw in Gary not only this fantastic singer but equally a brilliant writer and I think he was like 16 or 17 years of age not everybody has those skills and that experience at such a young age because he was doing it from like 12 13 14 if you don't mind, I'd like to set the scene about uh, how significant a player you were in the music industry and how unusual you were, actually, when we both started out. So, uh, I mean, it was a real boys club, the music industry. 
there weren't many women sitting at the top and you were a you were a publicist a plugger so a plugger is somebody that gets your stuff on the tv and the radio predominantly um and you were really successful and then you left the comfort of of a label job where you worked predominantly you know on big big acts for managers like Simon Fuller or A&R guys like Simon Cowell and you set up on your own and you became kind of like it was called Brilliant PR wasn't it yeah that's right yeah what a modest title to have Brilliant PR (laughs) no but there was you and Nick Godwin and Nick famously discovered Amy Winehouse I remember having discussions with Nick about this young girl from the Brit school that he'd found and you got to hear her she's she's exceptional and she was and so Nick and I were thinking of leaving RCA. Um, they offered me Nick's job. And Nick was my boss at RCA. And what they didn't quite appreciate was he was also my best friend. So I went to see Nick and I said, look, I think it's time for us to leave. They'd just taken Kylie Minogue off me because she'd gone to work with somebody else and another act. And they hadn't told me. They just made the decisions. And then I found out through somebody else. And I suddenly realized how vulnerable I was at a record company, not vulnerable personally, but in my career, like you're in the hands of somebody else. And I loved my time at RCA. It was a great group of people. But the penny dropped and I went to see Nick and I said, we need to leave. And he's like, no, 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 I'm loving it here. And I went, no, 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 you and I, we need to leave. We're good together. We, you know, we've got to set up our own company. It's time. And he's like, no, I really don't think so. I was like, Nick, you've just offered me your job. And that's brutal. And that was the music industry. Every single person that I worked with was let go over the years at some point or other. Mm. Now, the good news is they normally bounce back Mm. and went for a better job somewhere else. But, you know, as you know, Kate, a record company is made up of many parts, certainly in the 80s and 90s. It's like a jigsaw. And every part of the jigsaw is important. But if promotions, and I'm talking TV and radio, if they don't get the act away, then the act doesn't happen. Exactly, because everything yeah. else... Yeah. No radio, no it. go. Exactly. Yeah. Radio yeah. or TV, and Spice Girls, no radio, but luckily TV got it away. So we set up, and, and Gary Barlow actually said, if you leave, I will fund you, which I've never said before, actually, which is really, really kind. And he said, I'll back ah. you guys if you leave. And then we met Neil, and Neil said, well, look, I've got a company. It's called Brilliant. Why don't you come over and join us? So we did. Nick and I went over there and it was very, very successful. We had such a huge roster of artists. And then in the end, Matthew and Neil and Billy. And it was just the two of us. And that's when we decided, okay, we're going to get into management. We've got Amy Winehouse. We managed Billy Piper. Um, And they were brilliant days, but it was a stepping stone into what was to come. It really was. So so this is kind of mid-90s. You are uh, quite unusual to be that high ranking as a woman in the music industry at that time. I mean, I would I would say certainly um, you were outnumbered, as was I. So I sat in a different part of the business, but I was in charge of arguably uh, one of the most important music magazines, certainly in terms of breaking new acts, which brings, which brings me very nicely onto my first question for you. Are you ready? It's 1996. Um, do you remember bringing the Spice Girls in to see me at Smash Hits? Because I thought that was quite a high-risk move. You didn't have an appointment as far as I knew. I was in a meeting with my publishers. And then out in the office, I heard this just chaos unfolding around me. And Helen, my PA, put her head around. And she went, you better come out and see this. And we all had to just leave our desks and and leave this meeting and come out. And we were... I mean, it was a shock and awe exercise in girl power. And there was no way you or the Spice Girls were leaving until we committed to support you and cover the act. And I wanted to know from you a little bit more about the the strategy behind that, but also when in your own life, such a high risk move and a sort of nothing to lose moment has really paid off for you. It's how I actually first saw the Spice Girls. They came into RCA Records on rollerblades, got on the desk. They did everything that we hear about, and it is absolutely (laughs) true. And I was like you. My mouth just hit the floor. And the girls were such a power, and they had such belief, and they were united. This is what they wanted to do, and thoroughly convincing. And then they get out the ghetto blaster, and they put it on the side, and they start singing, you know, along an a cappella, and then to a bit of a backing track. And, um, and yes. I was so blown away. And I sort of said to, to them and to the manager, you know, this is great, but I'm not going to be here because I'm leaving RCA Records. 
I'm going to go independently. And that's when they said, right, well, we want to be with Nikki. So one of the first acts I took with me was take that and the Spice Girls and Annie Lennox when I went independent. So they really did help set up my business and the success that we had. Wow. So when you take that element, and no one was doing that at the time. You would just come in and just take over, wouldn't you? But yes. it's quite risky. You could, you, it could have backfired. You could have pissed somebody off with it by not sort of well, giving them, you know, we were in the we middle did. of quite an important meeting. We did. Oh, we did. did <laughs> yeah, we did manage to annoy someone. We did email. We did a big breakfast. Um, I can't really repeat what the girls said in today's world to the boys. But it was really fruity. <laughs> they took no prisoners at all. And then I took them into Radio 1 to see a lovely lady called Susie Aplin. And Susie was looking after TFI at the time. And I took the girls in and Chris, who we all know, we love, love Chris Evans, you know, one of the best presenters, broadcasters you're ever going to meet, was in a really bad mood. And he walked past and he said, why don't you lot F off back to live and kicking where you belong? <laughs> and I was like that. And we were in this glass office with this ghetto blaster. And the girls giving it all loads as they did. And Jerry literally <laughs> made a beeline for the door. And I was like, no, 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 not today. No, let's just let's just hang on. He's not in a good mood. I think he'd just been reprimanded by Radio 1. And we just, the timing was awful. Um, but funnily enough, yeah, after that, it was a success. But it took a long time to convince Chris. That's the truth. The first TV show I put them on was Surprise, Surprise. A lovely lady called Isabel Hatton. And she was the producer. And we dragged her into the toilets, into the ladies' loos, and they did their number for her in the loos. And when I say with their number, I'm obviously talking singing and nothing else. Thanks very much. Better want to be, that. yeah. Yeah. And, um, and she put them on Surprise, Surprise, which was the biggest TV show around at the mm. time. So we did a couple of TV shows, but that was the one that sort of set us up. And radio was really, really slow, and we didn't ever do TFI, not until much, much further, you know, later, further much down later. the line. And Chris was at Radio 1. And he didn't play them. He wouldn't play them and he had the breakfast show. So it took a lot longer to convince him. But then once he was on board, I think he went out with one and he really has supported them since then. So, but it doesn't, you know, you look back and it wasn't all, you know, just steamrolling ahead. There were a few battles to be had because people were a bit like, mm, who are these girls? It's a bit annoying. Are they manufactured? And, and there wasn't, although there was a lot of hype around Spice Girls, it didn't feel overly manufactured because they were such a dominant no. force and they took control of every conversation every conversation i went to um japan with them we hadn't even mm. charted and uh, we took out loaded with us funnily enough they were one of the first mags to sort of think oh actually and they tried to take them on and it was hilarious because the journalists in the end were like i surrender you know, they loved the girls but the girls weren't giving them an inch and that's what they did because they truly believed in what they stood for. It wasn't a man or a woman mm. behind them going, hey, I've got this great idea. Let's talk about girl power. It came from them. It was transparent. It was authentic. And they believed it. And here we are, 20 years yeah. down the line, and just having to celebrate 20 years of wannabe. Um, and it's more resonant today than it's ever been. I mean, when you came in with them, I remember you sort of just sort of hanging in the door of the, of the office, the main entrance to the office, and these girls were just doing their thing. By the time I came out, Jerry completely and utterly just bamboozled me. You're the first female editor of Smash Hits. We are all about girl power. I'm like, what the hell is girl power? She's like, you have got to support us. It's your duty as a woman. And just like, that's probably quite a fair point, actually. And they were a very hard sell for me with the guys upstairs because for no, I mean, listen, they supported my decision to give the girls a cover, but there was a lot of like, ooh, because girls didn't sell magazines to girls. They they changed that. And uh, we had, to, I mean, we had, we had to take a chance with them. They were a different league, the Spice Girls. And my boss was going, but, you know, shampoo, we wouldn't put them on the cover. I was like, trust me, these girls are special. They're different. But I think for all of us, we all took a risk, right? But what about yeah. in your own life, Nick? When have you taken some big risks? Um, I think probably the first risk I took professionally would be jumping ship from RCA Records. I had a great job. I looked mm. after Take That, Kylie, you know, Eurythmics, um, Annie Lennox, loads of different artists. And you know, if you want to look at the basics, I had a good salary. I had a company car. They had plans for me. 
But I wanted more. I wanted to be in charge of my own career. I didn't want to be dictated to. And also I wanted a hand in what artists that I was going to work. So that if I didn't want to work an artist, for example, Simon Cowell offered me five. Um, I'd already left RCA by then and I turned them down. They weren't what I wanted to work at the time. Brilliant band, loved the music, but I wasn't going to work it. And I wanted to have that so that when I went over from RCA to Brilliant, I could work David Bowie. You know, I was able to work with Phil mm. Collins, Spices, and all these artists that were on different record labels. I wasn't confined to one. So that probably was the first risk that I took. And then the second risk would be when I left Brilliant. Nick and I had mm. been running it for five, six years, and I went over to work with Simon Fuller as his creative director at 19. It didn't seem like a risk at the time, but because I was so excited with going into this new venture, but I was stepping away from a very successful business that I'd mm. built up just to try something different. I wanted to work in television. I didn't want to be in front of the camera, but I wanted to work more in TV. And I wanted, at the time, funnily enough, we had Amy to do more management. So I mean, really exciting times. And also, every year is great in the music industry. If you're, if you're working in it now, how brilliant is that? But when we were involved, there was money on the table. You could be creative. Uh, and as a publicist, you know, doing marketing, being out there with your band, that's what you wanted to do. We were able to film behind the scenes, travel around the world, as well as having the fantastic parties and all the rest that you hear about. Yep, it happened. And it was great times. And we didn't feel the pressure that there is in today's world, not just in the music industry, but in all areas of media. It was a laugh. We all worked so bloody hard, but we had a great time doing it. And you're, you're right, there was so much money in the business then. I remember being flown. I'm not joking, right? This is true. I was flown to Los Angeles. I only had a day that I could do this uh, to interview the cause, right? For Marie Claire magazine, I think it was. I was By then I was a contributing editor for them. Uh, but they were on a video shoot in the desert and the label flew me out first class. <laughs> I literally stayed four or five hours and flew straight back. I had a driver meet me at the airport to drive me into the desert um, where he waited and then drove me back to LAX to get me back to London because I had another job the next day or whatever. And they just threw money at it. Just threw the throat. <laughs> I can remember taking somebody to New York to go to a gig. And my husband, well, it wasn't my husband at the time, he was living out there. So we went to see him. And it was like, we had the best weekend. We saw a gig for like two hours and came home. <laughs> Business class, was not first, by the way. Sadly, I didn't go first. But, you know, it was great. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, probably not the best way to run a business, but I wasn't complaining. <laughs> See, um, well, listen, thank you so much for sharing some of those risky moments because I, I, I mean, I know you so well, Nick, and I often wonder, do the Radio 2 audience know how seminal you were as a mover and a change maker in the music industry. And I don't know that they do. And you were, you were, you were hugely significant. You broke acts, you managed their, their careers with huge success and you never really shouted about it. So I'll shout for you. Oh, well, that's really kind. I loved it. Um, but my job is really weird, was always behind the scenes. I'm, and I still think to this day I'm a better coach than I'm a player, is the honest truth. But I love being behind the scenes. I mean, not so much when, you know, you've spent two months of your life setting up a David Bowie interview and everyone's all over you like a rash. And then the moment the day comes and they literally put their hands in front of your face and push you out the way to go and say hello to him and you're, you're left at the back forgotten. <laughs> and that was my role. Mm. You know, my, my role was to to enhance people's careers, to illustrate their careers, to keep that fame, if you like, if you want to make it in the crudest possible sense. If you're famous, you came to work with me to continue that level of fame. You know, if you're promoting an, an album or a single. And then I did sort of get the name for breaking new artists, um, like Charlotte Church and some mm. of the ones that we've mentioned today. But, yeah, my, I was paid to be behind the scenes. And actually, in a way, I quite like that. You know, you were utterly brilliant. And, you know, when you bought a new act to me, I took you seriously because you had form. You had broken incredible new artists um, and then managed the, their trajectories. You know, take that. Look at what you did with them. Look at what you did with the Spices. You know, just on a pop, pure pop play, they were the two bands that are pop music of the 90s, like that pure pop. 
um, and you had a hand on on both their shoulders. Uh, so yeah. congratulations, Thanks. very Thanks. well played, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Changed, which takes me on nicely to question number two. Your career is one of like phenomenal change and unprecedented success. So whenever you decide to change lanes, and you do it really, really well. So I wanted to know um, who were the change makers along the way that you had in your corner that enabled you to fly to the top of whatever profession you chose to pursue. I'd love to say women, but just because of the people that I was working with, it was men in actual fact and right. I've always loved working with women I actually moved record labels because the MD was a woman called Lisa and I really wanted the opportunity to work with her um in TV there are more women that I work with than men but certainly in the music industry mm. you've hit the nail on the head it was all about male domination but I worked with incredible men that were extremely kind and motivating and were there so the first one would be Nick Godwin he was my boss at RCA. I can remember the first um, meeting I had with him and we agreed the terms and I was going over and you know, salary, the car, whatever. And then he said to me, is there anything else you'd like? And I said, yeah, can I never have lunch or dinner with this TV producer? And Nick went, yep, okay, I get that. I'll always shadow you. I'll always be by your side. I mean, how horrendous that a job interview, you have to say that, but he got it. And he, I never felt vulnerable. And this is because this person you're talking about is is a bit, well, overly familiar, yes. uh, abusive of their position, yes, sexually inappropriate, yes, yeah. Mm. And they were the days of the late eighties and early nineties. Sadly, not everybody, I might add, but there was a few, and they were in really high positions, power. And you know, you've got to remember that if I'm going in every day trying to plug my axe on their shows. I'm vulnerable. And Nick was just one of those people that it's not just about that. That's just one instance that I haven't really shared before, but yeah. he was uh, just the night. I'm still best friends with him. The nicest man, the nicest, kindest. Yeah. Person, good guy. A good guy through and through. And then we became partners and mm. to this day we're still friends. So he would be somebody that helped me make that jump. The other person would be Simon Fuller. Again, an incredibly unassuming, mm. kind soul who got me. And the one thing about working with Simon, I went over as creative director, he was this genius, this empresario, but he hated anybody really mm. meeting him and knowing him. He didn't want to be in the papers. He didn't want any fame whatsoever. He wanted success with no. his artists. And what he would do is, we'd like say, for example, the Spice Girls, he, he and I would sit and plot. We'd plot for hours and hours and hours, and he wasn't going to release the music until he was ready, but he would wind me up like a spinning top and send me on my way. I was his muse, if you like, and I'd be off and I'd go. 
And I love that. I love being number two. I don't need to be number one. I've never been number one in my career. I've had success, but I've always had amazing people around or above me. And I'm happy with that. Throughout my career, I've loved being second in command. Happy with that. And I don't want that to sound condescending because it's not, I know my place. I don't have to be number one. You know, the Simon Cowles and the Simon Fullers are quite rightly at the top of their tree. If life is a triangle, they're at the top or a pyramid, they're at the top. I'm, I'm quite happy to work under them. And that's where I get motivated working with incredibly talented, dynamic, sometimes quite forceful people, but going out there and doing it, working on a project. I don't need to be number one. I like being number two. So we've got Simon Fuller. You've got Nick Godwin. Who else were your change makers? Because then came the transition uh, from music to, to being on screen. Uh, who who were the, the men or women that enabled that to happen for you? Um, I was doing an audience it would have been an audience with Elton John um and I had the girls on there and I've known Nigel Lithgow for a long time now Nigel used to be a choreographer he was a dancer choreographer and then going through the ranks he became head of entertainment for LWT now for those of you that know LWT you'll be like oh my goodness I remember all those shows but for a lot of people he made Saturday Night TV he had that was it. Um, yeah. Oh, everything! You know, every major show: Barrymore, Scylla. Surprise, surprise, Barrymore. Yeah. All, I mean, anything. Huge. All the seaside specials. He just—he yeah. kind of—he was the don of Saturday Night LA Light Entertainment, the shiny yeah. floor he shows. Owned, he owned it, and he had a brilliant relationship because LWT fed into ITV, and he had a brilliant relationship mm. with a lady called Claudia Rosencrantz, and. Nigel's son had been in Australia, seen a format, loved it, said to his dad, you've got to come out here and buy it. And it was called Pop Stars, developed by, some, I think, two New Zealanders and then went out in Australia, huge hit. And he came back and he said to me and he said to Simon Cowell, why don't you come and be judges? We're going to put together a band. The judges will decide who's in the band. Public had nothing to do with it. We're going to film it warts and all, and it's going to be a TV programme. Now, at the time, I was working 911 and I'd put together acts before. So I was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. You know, I'm not really going to be on camera that much. It would be great. Simon Cowell, who was dipping his toe into TV at the time and realised that TV was the perfect vehicle to break an art and act, there'll be A&R men that would snigger at the acts that Simon Cowell was finding and developing. And Simon and they Cowell did. did not and they care. did. He was... Yeah, he was a joke. He didn't, he he didn't give a toss, did he? No, yeah. he made lots of money, yeah. had loads of success. So he was really up for it. But then he mm. suddenly thought, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. So he pulled out at the last minute and a guy called Paul Adam actually stood in, in his shoes. He was A&R, I think, for one of the record labels. So we made this show. So Nigel certainly was somebody that had total faith in me, but I did it in all innocence. I didn't see the bigger picture. I didn't have a game plan. All I was doing was putting together a band that I'd done before and I was going to manage them. So he and Claudia decided that this was the way forward. And this little show that we filmed became this juggernaut. I went on, uh, I was away with Simon really Fuller. And, uh, and I can remember calling home and Shaki saying it was going out every night, which was unusual. Claudia decided that it should go out every single night rather than once a week. And Shaki rang me and he said, oh, when you come back, Nikki, um, you might want to make a bit of an effort. The show's huge and people might, you know, recognise you. You might want to get out your tracksuit and put some makeup on. Because I'd left the UK for a trip overseas, having not seen the show. I didn't see it while I was away because we couldn't in those days view stuff while you were abroad. And I came back and everyone was talking about pop stars. So certainly Nigel and Claudia were huge, absolutely huge. Mm. And then I have to bring up Simon Cowell because... He and I had worked together at RCA. He'd given me nearly all his acts. Then when I went independent, we carried on working together. And then he was very much part of Pop Idol and the judges. So when I look back on my career, I have to say I'm so grateful because it's not just the artists that gave me the reputation, but it's also all these wonderful characters that I worked with as mm. well. Yeah. And you did have a very good working relationship with Cal. And you yeah. took, I mean, he would play... <laughs> um, he would he would <laughs> he would play with you sometimes. So I remember what was show was I must have been Idol where you started saying something. We were we were on a break um, and we were all sat around 
And he went, oh, not now, Nikki, the grown-ups are talking. Yeah, yeah. And you just, just went, oh, Simon, fuck off. Yeah, he used to say... <laughs> and he didn't was... mean it, by the way. I'm not hanging him out to dry here. He was joking, he was joking. Well, we like to think so. He used to say to um, people, what have you come as today? You know, he just used to, like, crush. And it was mainly women, let's be honest. And most of the women would really give it back and he would love it. It was cat and mouse with him. It was cat and mouse. I yeah. was lucky because we had that reputation together, because we'd worked together and I knew him. It was done in jest. But you can imagine that for a lot of people, and I know there were people within the team that found him really intimidating. Absolutely. But he loves it. He puts it out there. He wants it back. He wants it back. If he's going to be rude, yeah. he wants it back in bucket loads. Yeah. I mean, that's that's his... But that's that's just how he converses. I don't think he realises. I don't know that he thinks he's being knowingly provocative. That's just how he is. People, I mean, obviously now we're, we're used to it, but when he was you know, at the height of his fame here and stateside, everybody used to say to me, now what, I've got to ask you, what's Simon Cowan really like? And I'd say, if you were having a dinner party... One, he'd be late because he's always late for everything. But two, <laughs> always late. The, always late. He is the ultimate dinner party guest. You would love him. And that's the truth. But let's talk about his lateness. Even Anton Deck used to be sitting around for like three hours. And when we were judging, I can remember instances when you watch the show, there's no Simon. And it's not because he's ill. We just couldn't wait any longer. We had to start filming because he didn't need to turn up till midday. And that never changed. Yeah. And then sometimes you just go and have a bath. <laughs> In the middle of a recording day, you're like... <laughs> he's not a morning person. He probably is now because he's got a lovely son and life has changed. But when I worked with him in the music industry, he was a night owl. He used to sort of come in at like midday and then he would work late and have dinners. That was his thing. What I loved about that time, though, is that, I mean, there were some really smart people around coming up with really great ideas and then they got actioned. I mean, I, maybe we just live in different times now, I don't know. But things that, you know, you could have an idea, put it out there and it would happen. And then the next thing, you know, you're off and running with it. It felt it felt like a time of anything is possible. Yeah. Claudia Rosenkrantz was running ITV from the entertainment side, entertainment and factual. And when we went in and pitched Idol to her the first time, and I really don't believe this would happen today, we didn't even have it written down. You have this thing called the Bible. I open up page one or you go online and look at page one and it tells you what the show is, how you're going to make it. And week by week, there was nothing. It was a verbal pitch. And she looked up and she went, I'll have it. And that was it. And then we decided, Simon Fuller and I decided not to go to the BBC because we put a BBC meeting in in the afternoon. So Simon Jones, who worked for the production company, and Simon Cow decided to keep that meeting with the BBC. And they walked in and there was a committee. And that was the difference. And when they went in and pitched it, everybody was chipping in. Well, this might work and this might work. Now, it could have worked on the BBC. There's nowhere to say we don't know because we never tried it. But Simon Fuller and I came out and just went, Claudia. And I know Cow felt exactly the same, even though he did pitch it over to the other side. We didn't. We felt compromised. Because she was like, I get it. We'll work on the detail. I get it. And I don't know whether that still happens no, today. Well, not in my experience, it doesn't. And Claudia Rosencrantz is, is quite an exception uh, in terms of her contributions to uh, television. She ran ITV Entertainment working a four-day week so she could have Fridays off with her daughter. She also ran ITV2, I mean, literally in a lunch hour, um, which is where I came into play with the ITV2 Pop Idol Extra spin-off, which is the first spin-off show of its kind. But Claudia was so instinctive. She gave me my career in telly. Um, I, I will be forever indebted to her. But ITV are still dining out on her commissions. I'm a celebrity, Dancing on Ice, Saturday Night Takeaway, X Factor, which has only recently just gone. I mean, all of those were Claudia's commissions and they, they've stood the test of time. She really knew her stuff. She Quite she the talent. Quite the talent. Great television, but she also knew what the public want. Mm. And there's, that's not easy to gauge. And that's not having a million different, um, you know, questionnaires going out. Do you like this? Do you like that? She had that gut feel. And I think Fuller and Cal, the two yeah. Simons, also had that. 
you know, rather than yeah. just testing it they out did. on people, they just went for it. They just went for it. Mm. And they were, yeah, very instinctive growth. animals, all of them. Yes, instinctive. Yeah. What a good word, yeah. I could, I could plunder the 90s forever in a day, but it's time for us to move on to your final question, Nick. Are you ready? Here we go. Not a lot of people will know this, but you are a qualified professional and personal coach. And alongside all of your broadcast work, you take clients. You help to empower them and coach them. I, was, I, lo- I love that. I love that you managed to, to have this as a, not a side hustle, but you've, so that you run in tandem with all the other stuff you do. You're full of surprises. So I wondered what else would people be surprised to know about you? I spent many years working with my artists. So if you had a band or a solo artist and they were appearing on TV, which is what I sort of specialised in, it wasn't just about that performance. It wasn't about, okay, this is the outfit, there's your makeup and hair, get on and do it. For me, it was always about the bigger picture, about their health, about their mental health, feeling confident with what they're doing. So I used to sit and do lots of, not media training, but coaching with them unofficially, just Mm. getting to the bottom of any anxiety, what they were worried about, areas that we should stay away, areas that we can look at and perhaps talk about quite comfortably. And then when I was taking a back seat from the music industry, I realised that people were still coming to me and saying, oh, have you got time for a coffee? I just want to, I've been offered, say, redundancy and I don't know whether to take it. I just want to chat through my options. So I decided to put it on a professional footing and go and do all my exams and get my insurance. And then that way, I can go into companies or work with individuals, not necessarily media-based, but helping people reach their potential. And there's a real difference between coaching and mentoring, and they're both brilliant. And I do mentor as well. Mentors where you work with someone, you explain what they're doing, and you help them Mm -hmm. move up the ladder. In a way, you're giving them sometimes the answers, and that's really good in a business mm. capacity. You know, if you mentor young people coming through, and it really does pay dividends. But coaching isn't about telling somebody what to do, because mm. you can tell someone what to do till you're blue in the face, and they will happily take on your advice. And then when the shit hits the fan and they're going through really stressful times, that goes out the window. So what you do is you work with them so that they come up with the answers but you get them to a place where they can see Mm. the wood for the trees. And often that will take sessions, but they have the answers. They just haven't found them yet. And it is mainly about listening and asking the right questions and not talking, which is a miracle for me to keep quiet, let's be honest. Um, and (laughs) And I find it really helps not just working with the people that I work with, and some are very famous that people will definitely know, and some aren't, but also... I found it's really helped me in my life when I'm filming, when I'm working with people on Escape to the Country and stuff, to listening and listening to what they're not telling me. Because everybody thinks they've got the answer. Do you think I should take this job? Oh, yeah, you should take that job because you're really good. Or they never actually say, well, why do you think you should take the job? What are the pros and the cons? Everyone's got their best, you know, they think they know you well, but only you know you. And certainly in the last few years, when I've been through some quite difficult times, as so many have, mainly with my health funnily enough those coaching skills helped me when I hit a crossroads and I wasn't quite sure what the future was going to look like for me and that was very scary Nick and you have you still have a a brain tumor it's not malignant that's the good news there's a little bit left in there and you keep an eye on it right but the time that you realized uh, that it was diagnosed that you realized something wasn't right by that point it'd grown to the size of a small golf ball yeah and Obviously, the news is good now, right? It's not malignant. You've been successfully uh, operated on and you ma- you live with it and you manage it. But there was a time when you didn't have any of those assurances and that must have been quite terrifying. It was. Um, I haven't actually shared this with anybody, but back in October, I was having my yearly scan with my fantastic consultant who he knows I adore him. I tell him regularly in front of my husband how much I adore him and the NHS that looked after me and continued to look after me so well. And he rang me and I was standing in a field because now we do phone you know, appointments, don't we? We don't do it face-to-face. So he, he rang me with my latest scans 
and I'm standing in a field and the Escape to the Country crew were moved away. They, I knew I was getting the call, so they moved away. They gave me some privacy. And I'm looking at all these pigs. I'm just painting the picture, but that's what it was like. <laughs> and an amazing consultant rang me and said, the tumour, Nikki, has gone. <gasps> For the moment, it's disappeared. Yeah. Nick! So I haven't shared that with anybody That's apart amazing! from the Brain Tumor Charity. Thank you. Oh, I know I get a bit teary. I'm going to get a bit teary. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And they don't know why. And obviously, I've still got to be monitored because these things have habits of changing. So, you know, but we take the good where we can. We always look for the win in every situation. So Bert, for the moment, has gone. And in the nicest of ways, I hope the bastard never comes Too back. Right. <laughs> oh, Nick, that is just glorious news. Oh, I bet you cried a happy tear or two, you. didn't you? Oh, my goodness. I was sobbing. And he's like, Nikki, Nikki. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just, I said, do we know why? And he said, no, these things happen. We, they had to leave a, a slither of him in because of where it was. It was too dangerous to take out. Mm. And for whatever reason, at the moment, it's gone. There's no trace, just the scar tissue. And so they'll get, the NHS will keep monitoring me and I will happily go to every appointment that they ask me to go to. Um, but yeah, life changing. Absolutely. I wouldn't want anyone to go through anything like that. And so many people sadly are and do. And I know I am fortunate. I'm fortunate. It was benign, but even to live with it wasn't oh. great. But, um, yeah. Oh, I mean, it must have just, um, reframed everything because in those moments you're such a doer and you're so organized and all of that goes i mean like every all the infrastructure that you thrive living through and around all of that goes right because it's just like am i gonna live that's it in that moment am i gonna live and and if if i am how are we gonna do that yeah what will i look like how will i be i did my will the day before i went in for my operation but, you know, for my husband, the first thing I said was, right, we've got to redo the will. And he was so brilliant throughout those actually one very, very small part that he was so brilliant. I told very few people um, because it is life changing. And there'll be people listening to this podcast that will totally understand what I'm saying. And there'll be people listening to this that will try to understand. But thankfully, they haven't had to go through it. And I hope they don't because it is, yeah. it is the biggest thing. It's amazing what you will accept in life. You do find strength that you didn't know you had. And um, Mm. at first we weren't sure. We knew it was big. They said, you've got a large tumour. They thought I'd had a stroke. You've got a large tumour. But in actual fact, I now hear from people and their tumours are much larger than mine. You know, they've gone through hell and back. But it's taking each day and not knowing whether you're going to live or not. And then when my amazing consultant said, you know, well, I think we can get rid of this, but there might be ramifications. You might lose your sight in one eye. You might, your speech might um, mm. be compromised. I was like, but can I see in the other eye? And he's like, well, hopefully, yes. You know, they give you, they have to give you all scenarios. And I was like, okay, fine. If I lose sight in one eye, so be it. You know, I can, I can live with that. That's a small price to pay for life. And who would have thought? We came out and Chuck's like, are you sure you're okay? You seem quite high. And I went, Chuck, he's told me I'm going to live. Unless something goes wrong on that operating theatre, which we know can happen, I'm going to live. <laughs> I'll take, you know, be partially sighted or whatever. I'll take that. I, yeah, I'll take that. Um, after my operation, everything, and I've got my fingers crossed as we're having this conversation, everything went in my favour. And six weeks to the day I was filming, yeah. You are so no-nonsense. I love that. Well, I was expecting to be at home. Three, three months. months recovery. Yes. <laughs> yeah, did. three months they told you, and you were back at work in six weeks, Nikki Chapman. <laughs> I did check with my <laughs> consultant before anyone thinks I was being stupid. I did go to see him and said, I really want to go back to work. I thought I was going to be ill for three months, and he went, so did I. And I said, am I mad going back to filming? I said, they'll look after me. They'll look after me. And he's like, you know what? If I couldn't, if I couldn't perform surgery for six weeks, he said, I'll be going mad and I can see the same with you. So I did get signed off. The only thing I have is I struggle reading now. That's the only thing I have, which is a small price to pay for my health. My concentration isn't as good as it was. I I find it hard to read books and I don't know why. Yeah. But apart from that, I take each day. 
I'm very grateful. Nick, thank you so much for coming on. I love talking to you. And I really hope that um, people come away with a really different view of just how much you've done and how influential your career has been, not just in terms of the stuff that we see and hear you do now, but all that came before that. You're quite remarkable. That's really kind. I think we could certainly say the same about you as well, Kate. People probably know 10% of what you've achieved. Um, But it's lovely to reminisce and to talk. I hope when I touch on my health, it helps other people as well. I am blown away by the fact that, I mean, if anybody was going to obliterate a brain tumour, it's you. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) If there's anybody that it's not going to survive in, it will be yours because you'll just be like, well, I'm taking care of that. Right, let's write a list. (laughs) Yes, it was, it it didn't, well, as much as I could do it, I I positively thought, you know, the NHS are incredible. They they were incredible, but I was, I'm going to look for the win and um, yeah, it's not going to define me. I will get on with my life and it doesn't define me now. That's important for me. Everyone deals with everything in very different ways. But for me, it's not Nikki Chapman with brain tumour. It's always about being me. How lovely was that? A chance to stroll down memory lane with the phenomenal Nikki Chapman. Uh, thank you so much, Nick. And if you'd like to hear more great conversations with some brilliant uh, 90s artist then look no further than our back catalogue we've got brilliant episodes with Gary Barlow who she worked with Steps Travis Sean Ryder Skin from Skunk and Nancy Lisa Stansfield's in there Danny Minogue Delta Goodrum All Saints and Sophie Ellis Baxter I mean it's practically enough to make my own top 40 uh, my thanks as always to you for lending us your ears for the hour and to Ben Robbins and the Yahoo Studios team who produced the show with me. As always, our editing is by Eleanor Humphreys and our very own 90s superstar, Andy Bell, is responsible for the beats. I'll be back next Friday with more great guests. Until then, take care. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.